to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. I just want to thank you all for allowing me the opportunity to preach. I appreciate everything, and even while I'm out at school, the prayers that I've received, and I truly appreciate that. First uh, Kings chapter 17, we'll start in verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass, after a while, that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain me. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus cause, pardon me, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of Elijah, which he spake by Elijah. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We pray, I pray that you give me clarity, and I pray that you would speak, Lord, that we could get what you would have us to see from this passage, Lord. I pray you'd help us to serve you in your pray. Amen. So as we find in this passage, there's several things that God had Elijah to do. And when Elijah did them, God provided. I mean, it starts in the first, Elijah goes unto Ahab and tells him by the word of the Lord that there's going to be no rain in the land of Israel. And there was no rain until later on Elijah prayed and the rain came down. But because there was going to be no rain, God was going to need to provide for Elijah. As it says in verse 4, get, uh, verse 3, Get thee hence and turn east, the eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. When Elijah went to where God had commanded the ravens to feed Elijah, God provided for Elijah. It's not until, it wasn't until Elijah was there where God had commanded the ravens to feed him that he received the providence of God. I'm just going to grab a little water here for a second. And thirdly, I mean, secondly... When the, when the ravens had fed, after, when, at, <laughs> the ravens fed Elijah in the morning and in the evening with bread and flesh, and he drank from the brook. 
But eventually, because there was no rain, the water ran out. But God wasn't done providing for Elijah. He gave him a command to go to the, wid- to the widow of Zarephath in Zidon and dwell there, and the widow would sustain him. Now, it's not a very likely place. Widows cannot, in that day, would have a very hard time providing for themselves, never mind strangers. So this was not a very likely place, but this is where God commanded Elijah to go. And when Elijah went where God had him, God provided not only for the widow, but also for Elijah. When, Eli- when both of them gave what they had to God and put him first, that's when God was able to provide for him. The widow of Zarephath herself, I mean, it says, she said, when Elijah asked for the food first, we know he was a Baptist preacher, as it had been said, because when the widow once said she needed to make some cakes, he said, give me first, because he wanted to eat. And when she received the promise of God that the barrel would not waste, and she went and gave to Elijah first, then God could provide for her. And she fed the man of God, and neither the barrel wasted, nor did the cruise of oil fail. Because God's providence does not fail. And God command, and um, as we see in this passage, God provided for both of them. When you put God first in your life, God's going to provide for you. Now, now, hold on a second. This is not a checklist of how to get God to provide for you. You know, when I'm over here, this is right where I need to be, and I can get on the nice list. Because when I'm over here, I'm on the naughty, and I don't get presents. It's not how it works. God is not Santa. But when we put God first in our lives, that's when we find his blessings. It's, it's an act of trust by putting God first. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take the, verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. When you put God first in your life, when you seek God first, you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You are focusing on the things of God and trusting him with the needs of this world. That very act of trust invokes the promises of God that he will take care of us as our heavenly father. God takes care of us like no one else can. He is our heavenly father. As Jesus says in many times throughout the Gospels, that he's going to take care of us. There are innumerable promises in this book that he is going to take care of us. But God cannot take care of us when we're trying to do it ourselves. I mean, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 6. Let's turn there for a minute. Luke chapter 12, verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus tells us he's going to take care of us. Just like the sparrows, which are sold for farthings, are taken care of by God, God's going to take care of us even more because we're worth more than sparrows. But it's not until we trust him that he can take care of us. 
I mean, as we went through Seek Ye First, the Kingdom of God, I mean, I grew up in church. I was a pastor's kid. In junior church, I memorized this verse. I always knew you're supposed to seek God first, and you're supposed, God's going to trust, trust God, and he'll take care of you. And that's so simple because it is. There is so much living in simplicity. But it wasn't until I really got to college that I really understood, living on my own, how awesome trusting God and what he provides for you, how simple, how amazing that is, rather. And God has taught me some really wonderful things at Bible college, and not necessarily in the way I expected. I mean, I always, I mean, originally when I was in high school and coming out thinking about going to college, I thought that when I went to college, I would be learning very scholarly subject taught in large words in a pedantic manner. But learning at Heartland is not just about the classroom. More than half of what I've learned at Heartland has been what I've learned directly from God through the circumstances that I've been in, just from being in God's will, from being there like Elijah was. It was back in October during midterms, and that week is a very tough week for everyone at school. It's very tight. You have to cram for midterms, plus you have a bunch of projects due. That's like the midway point. Everything, when you start, is building to that. You've got to make it to that. Then you get a wee bit of a break, and then it's just full speed ahead till finals. Then you get a break, and it's next semester. So I finished my first semester, and I've got, uh, let's see, seven more to go. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate that. <laughs> but it was during midterms week, and I had a lot to do. I had a lot of homework, more homework than I could handle, and less sleep than I needed. But also on that Saturday, they had what is called Neighborhood Bible Time. And it's a ministry that I had signed up for that I wanted to be a part of, but I couldn't because I had so much homework to do. And I'd missed the first one because I'd been out of town on a weekend trip, and I wanted to go to this one, but everything said, you need to do your homework. You need to take care of the things you need to take care of. But I prayed about it, and God told me, you need to do your ministries. You need to put me first. And when you put me first, I'll take care of everything. So I decided, hey, this is a simple, this will be an idea. We'll, we'll trust God, and we'll see how this all works out. I know this is more than I can handle, but we'll see how this works out because God is great. And so I went to the neighborhood Bible time that took up my Saturday and most of my study time. I got a little bit in that Saturday. I had a great time at a neighborhood Bible time. That's where they uh, go to a park in a local area of the town in Oklahoma City. And they set up sort of like a carnival type thing instead of some games. And they help out like a bus route. And it's very helpful for the kids on the bus route to connect with people from the church and from the school and the families to also connect with the church. It's a very good way to grow the bus route. And it was a lot of fun. I was able to connect with the kids. I was running a little uh, stand where they had a little tire on a stand, and you would throw these little yellow balls through it. And, of course, I put my face inside the tire, and everyone decided to throw things at me, and everyone lined up in front of me. So did that all day, and it was a real blessing. <laughs> but I, I did that. That took up most of my study time, but I had um, about 300 pages of my textbook to read so I could write a paper for uh, Friday, and I had a quiz on Monday, and then two midterms during the week, and a bunch of other stuff as well, plus work, and all the other church services and ministries. And so throughout that week, I didn't get much sleep, but everything got turned in on time, and as an answer to prayer, God gave me every possible point on the midterms. I did better on those midterms than I did any other time during the school year. 
in the other quiz. And at the end of that week on Friday, I was reading through my Bible in Kings chapter 17, and God showed me how he provided for Elijah. When Elijah was there, God sent the ravens. When he did as God commanded him to do, he went to Zidon to an unlikely place. God provided for him through the widow at Zarephath. And the widow as well, who was about to die. And I found out God showed me that when you trust him, when you put him first, when you go to where he has for you, that's when he will provide for you. It's not until you are completely dependent upon him that he will provide for you. He provides for us always, and he always takes care of us in ways when we're not even paying attention. But when we're there, that's when he does very special things. And it's a very simple thought. It's not anything wow and spectacular and theological, but there is so much living right there. When we just do what God is already, what we already know to do. Elijah was commanded by God to go this place. He knew what to do, and when he did it, God provided. We know what to do. We have the whole Bible. We know what to do. When we do what God has for us, tells us to do, when you are in the kingdom way, when you are there, when you seek God first, all these things are going to be added unto you. Not new Cadillacs necessarily. Maybe that's what God has for you. I don't think that's quite what he has for me. But when you're there, God provides in so many ways. Amen. Chapter number 12. And just echo hey, Stephen. I'm not sure if you heard me, but thank you for the opportunity just to preach. I don't want to take it lightly. Uh, when God's called me to preach, I want to jump at every opportunity that he gives me. So I'm not perfect, but he's still working on me. So... 1 Samuel chapter 12, I'm just going to read a few verses and talk about quite a bit. But starting in verse number 20, it says, And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver for they are vain. If you continue reading, it says, For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you His people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things He hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this message and what it's meant to me and how you've spoken my heart. I pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross and that you would use me in, in a mighty way, not me, Lord, but that you would work through me, that the people here would hear your word preached. And as your word has the power to change lives, that you would stir in their hearts, that you would speak to them, that you would have your will in your way. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. So just a question, how many of you have ever failed to the point where you just want to quit? You know, I, in my mind, uh, when I started reading through this story and reading through the passage, I, I went back to, you know, maybe learning to ride a bike. Okay, maybe some of you have never ridden a bike, 
But I remember back in my time is that learning to ride a bike and, and starting out and, and my dad finally letting go of me and I fall over on my side and say, I'm done. I quit. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to try. But my dad encouraged me and I continued to go. And I remember one time uh, riding around our property. We had a, when I lived in, I used to live in a small town in California. We had a large property and going down a hill. And I decided, you know, I'm going to swerve like this. And I hit a pothole and went down on my side and slid and got all bruised and torn up. And I said, I'm never going to ride a bike again. I quit. I give up. Which, you know, it's quite foolish when you think about it. But how often do, you know, we get to points like that in our life? You know, when something goes wrong or we fail and we mess up and, and we decide, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm never going to do it again. Well, we get to kind of a point here, and, and Samuel wants to encourage the people not to quit. The, the people, if you know the story, the background here is the, that the people have just come to Samuel a few chapters back and said, Samuel, we want a king. We were tired of we've not being able to see our God. We, we want a physical representation of our leader. We want a king. And so Samuel is kind of distraught and he feels rejected and goes to the Lord and, and God tells him, don't worry, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. So give them a king. Tell them this, this is what they're going to get and they're not going to like it. But if they still want a king after they know that, then go ahead. I'll, I'll show you who the king will be. So he goes and he tells the people, you know, all these bad things are going to happen if you want a king. And they say, yeah, it's okay, we, we want a king. It's okay, just give us a king, just like all the other nations. We want to look like them. We want to be protected, just like the other nations. So we need a king. And so, if you know the story, God uses Samuel and, and, and guides and directs the life of a man named Saul and brings the two paths together. And, and there, Samuel anoints Saul to be the next king of Israel. Or the very first king of Israel, should I say. And the people at first don't want Saul to be their king, but after a battle, they decide, okay, Saul's, Saul's our king. We'll, and they, they set him up and they, they choose Saul, and, and then we get to chapter 12. Now, chapter 12, Samuel comes before the people and says, okay, I, I want to tell you all something, but first, Am I true prophet? Like, have I ever mistreated you? Have I ever done anything wrong? Before I try to say anything, I just want you all to know. Have I ever said anything wrong? Have you ever taken a bribe? Have I, you know, ever deceived you? And the people are like, no, no, you're good. You, 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 you've been true the whole time. And so he says, okay, you said this. So on your word, I'm going to talk to you. And he says, you've sinned. You have done wickedly. And that God was your king. And if you look at your past, when, when the people would... He, he tells them to look at the past. That when, the, when God's people were under persecution, when, when another nation had come in and, and sought to destroy them, when they cried out to God, God provided. And God brought in someone. To deliver them. And then when the time would come again, when they were under persecution, they cried out to God and God provided. But then this other king comes in, king named Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, and they say, we want a king now. 
they don't cry out to God. They cried out and said, give us a king. And so, God gave them what they wanted. But Samuel reminds them and tells them, you've done wickedly in doing this. You, you have failed God. You have failed. You have fallen. But then he gives them an encouragement, which sounds a lot like the verses we read. In verse 14, if you go back, it says, If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. He encourages them says, okay, you have the king now. And you've done wrong. But I'm just telling you, serve God. Choose to serve Him now. And, and just as he's, Samuel seeks to verify his word, and he asks God, and he says, you know, if, if what I've said is true, I'm going to ask God. And he'll verify my word, and he does through a sign. And, and the people become afraid, and they say, Samuel, we've sinned. We've done wickedly. We have. You're right. So what do we do now? Samuel, we've done wrong. What do we do now? And then we get to our text, where Samuel tells them, don't, don't fear. Serve God. That it's, it was their nature and it, it, they were, would have been prone to say, oh, well, I've messed up and how can I serve God since I've already failed Him? They can't go back now. They can't go back and say, well, we don't want Saul to be our king anymore. We'll, we'll let God be our king. They can't just go back to that. It's too late. They have some consequences for their wrong actions. So what do they do? Well, Samuel says, fear not. You have done wickedly. Yet turn not aside from serving the Lord. This king, he's going to be in your life from here on. You're going to have a king from here on. It's too late. But serve God anyways. Don't, don't, don't decide that it's too late so we're going to just scratch everything anyways and we're just going to leave the Lord alone since we failed Him. We can't serve Him anymore and we're just going to go over here and do what we want. No, don't do that. Yes, there's some consequences for your actions, but serve God anyways. For the Lord will not forsake His people. They, even though they've messed up, they, they confessed it, they said we've messed up, we've failed, serve Him. Don't forsake God, because He's not going to forsake you. And Samuel tells him, hey, I can't make you serve God. I can't make you serve God. That's not my responsibility. You have your own personal responsibility. He tells the people that. He says, my responsibility is to pray for you and to instruct you. But he gives them a, a kind of a, a Joshua moment and says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And he tells them, no, serve God or don't serve Him. It's your choice. But serving God will bring the blessings of God. Or choosing not to, well, you, you shall be consumed, was his words. He encourages the people to serve God, to not forsake God, despite their circumstances, despite their choice, their failure. 
He encourages them to say, hey, get back up. You've already confessed it. Don't fret and don't worry and don't stand and sit in here and twiddle your thumbs and say, oh, I've messed up. What do I do now? Don't dwell in your failure. Get up. Move on. Give that to the Lord and serve Him. So, only time will tell what they did. And if you read through and continue on, you see that the children of Israel ended up doing whatever the king did, basically. So when a king chose not to serve God, the children of Israel chose not to serve God. And when, when they had a good king that desired to serve the Lord, they served the Lord. And the results came. Exactly what God said. That when they chose to serve the Lord, God blessed them. When they chose to do wickedly, they were consumed. Okay, so this was how many years ago? Time, 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 long, long, long ago. In a faraway land. So what does that mean to us? Okay, this, well, God's written it down for us for a reason. And he's preserved his word for a reason. So what about us? What does this mean for us? Well, don't we have the same propensity? Don't, don't we tend to do the very same thing? To say, you know, man, I really messed up, God. I know you wanted me to do this, but I fi- I'm just not going to try it again. Or, just, you know, I just, I, I've tried and tried, and I tried to tell my coworker about you, but they continue to, to put me off. It's, not, it's no use. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. Or, you know, God, I've struggled with this sin for so long, and it's been in my life for so long, and every time I try to get a victory over it, I fall and I fall. It's no use. I'm just going to let it be. We tend to do this very same thing. Maybe it's different. It looks different in your life, but that's who we are. We're sinful, frail flesh. We're, but man, we fall. It happens. We, we are sinners. Even saved by the grace of God doesn't remove the fact of sin. It just makes us holy and just before the Lord. That we still sin. We still do fall. We still do fail time and time again. But we should heed the same words that Samuel gave to the people. He said, ye have done wickedly. You can look at your own situation, look at your own life, maybe at the times when you've fallen, you've failed, and, and say that, you know, how am I supposed to serve God after I've done this? Well, Samuel's words echo and say, you have done wickedly, yet turn not aside from following the Lord. Don't let that be an excuse to do what's right. And I... Just some examples. I was thinking it worked out perfectly when Stephen told his story, his little illustration to say, you know, he failed, possibly, maybe not a failure, but he quite didn't get all his homework done as he had hoped to. And his, it could have been an excuse to say, okay, God, I, I need to do this. I've messed up, so I'm not going to do my ministry. But he said, you know, I'm going to do it anyways. And God blessed. Or, you know, for me, here's a... <laughs> In my life, I see it more often than not that I, I fail to study or prepare for a sermon as I ought to. And it could be easy to say, you know, I'm just not going to preach. I'm just going to, you know, go and say, you know, I, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm just going to, you do it, you do it. Or I could say, you know, well, I know this is what God wants me to preach, but I'm not ready, so I'm just going to preach something else. I have done 
12 billion times, which happened a lot this summer. But when, but I've seen more often than not, instead of using it as an excuse to say, I know God, you want me to preach this, and it would be so easy to do something else. I'm going to do it anyways. And sure, I may have that feeling of disappointment to say, you know, man, I wish I had said this. I wish I had, had done it this way. But time and time again, I've seen in my life that people will come up and say, that's exactly what I needed. And that God will use it. And he'll bless it. That maybe there is something in your life that you're dwelling on, that you've overcome, but you're dwelling on and saying, man, how can I serve God with this in my life? Sure, I've, I've gotten over it, but still, it's in my past. God doesn't want us dwelling on our past. He, he wants us to give that to Him. It, it, what was the verse that even Pastor said this morning? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That when we give our sins to God, He forgives us. He puts that behind Him. He cleanses us to the point of service how we can serve Him again. Now, your pastor or the spiritual leaders here in the church cannot make you, just as Samuel said, they cannot make you serve God. That's their responsibility to, to pray and to instruct you, but they can't make you make the choice. And uh, It's a personal choice. It comes to that moment of choose you this day whom you will serve. So there may be some points in your life and sometimes some things you might regret. Just give them to God. Some things that you may say, how can I serve God after this? That I, I've lived in this sin for so long and, and I know I'm forgiven and I know God's given me victory over it. But what will people think if I try to serve God? I, I don't know. Just the thought that came to mind was maybe... a an alcoholic who's, who's lived and dwelt in, in that lifestyle and, and God's get, brought them victory. But what will that person think if I try to tell them about Jesus? They'll, they'll, who are you talking to me? You, you did the same thing. But you have done wickedly, yet turn not aside from following the God's grace is available for serving the Lord. We may feel like a failure sometimes and may feel like we failed to a point where we can't serve Him, but God's grace is sufficient for us to serve Him. God has always given the grace to help us continue on to serve Him. So, there's your choice. It is a choice every time, every day, are you going to let your circumstances or even the consequences of your choice that will come, just because you repent of your sin doesn't always mean that the consequences are going to go away. It just means the guilt will. Are you going to use the consequences or, or the, the different things in your life to be an excuse to serve God? To, to say, you know, God, I can't do that. Are you going to serve Him anyways? Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Thank you.